Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Harvest Kids, you can go ahead and head into the uh, fellowship hall for your class. Uh, and for the rest of us, just have a seat where you are. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, my name is Andrew Watkins. I have the privilege of serving here at Harvest Annapolis as an associate pastor. Whether you're joining us in person this morning or you're tuning in online, we are so thankful uh, that you've chosen to spend part of your Sunday morning with us. We really want to welcome you. So as Pastor Dan said, uh, if you are a first-time guest, uh, see somebody with a lanyard, see Pastor Dan, see myself. We would love to get to just to connect with you for a moment and get to know how we can uh, best love you and serve you and pray for you. Uh, but if you would, let's go ahead and get into God's Word together this morning. So if you would, go ahead and grab your uh, Bibles or your phones or whatever it is that you tend to use to get your eyes on God's Word. And would you meet me this morning in Hebrews chapter 12? I know what you're thinking. I know we said we finished Hebrews 11 last week. We're going to be in, in Hebrews just one more week before we start a new sermon series going through the Gospel of John next week on Anniversary Sunday. So I hope you'll be here for that. I hope you'll join us uh, on next week for Anniversary Sunday. But even if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I would still uh, greatly encourage you and challenge you to find a way to get your eyes on God's Word so you can follow along. As always, we've got some Bibles in the back that you could make use of, uh, or uh, if you don't have one at all, we would love for you to just take one of those and keep it as our gift to you. Or if you're just sitting where you are and you want to Google Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 on your phone, it'll pop right up and you can follow along uh, in that way. But as you're turning to Hebrews chapter 12, just so you can be prepared, obviously, uh, if you're here, you know we're having communion this morning, so you've probably got a, some communion supplies somewhere near you within reach. If you don't, there's some extras in the back. But if you are at home and joining us and would love to participate in communion, I'd, uh, go ahead and run to the kitchen, grab some crackers and some juice or something like that so you can uh, participate with us at the end of the service. But Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2, and uh, before we get started, I want us to read those two verses, and then we'll pray and jump into the text. Here's what Hebrews chapter 12 says, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Would you pray with me as we start our time together? Father, uh, thank you so much for your word. Thank you uh, that we can gather together to worship you this morning. And it's our prayer, our desire this morning to look to your son, to look to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Would he be glorified this morning? Would he be magnified and, and made massive in our lives that we would look to him and never look away? Would you help us to run well as we look to him? Would you be present and, and active and moving among us this morning through your Holy Spirit to challenge and encourage and equip us to look more like him as we look to him? And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Once upon a time, there was a thing called the presidential fitness test. Now, apparently, I looked this up this week and it no longer exists. So if you're under a certain age, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But if you're above a certain age... There's a decent chance right now that you might be breaking into a nervous sweat just thinking about the presidential fitness test. And just in case you've never heard of it, or perhaps the toxic fumes of a middle school locker room years ago have wiped all memory of it from your minds, uh, the presidential fitness test was a mandatory uh, government-begun uh, uh, fitness test given to middle schoolers and high schoolers every year from 1956 until 2013. And in order to pass the test and to receive the maybe uh, less than prestigious presidential fitness award, uh, in order to pass, you had to sit and reach at least seven and a half inches, do at least 20 pull-ups in one minute, 53 sit-ups in one minute, 
run 30 feet in 9.6 seconds, and worst of all, run one mile in eight and a half minutes. And for the record, I'm still a little bitter about the fact that the, 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 sca- the school campus that I went to had two massive hills that were part of this test. I was not a fan of this. I, I hated that run. It seemed impossible, and so you can call it smart, you can call it lazy, you can call it convenient, you can call it whatever you want to call it, but yes, for, um, on more than one occasion, I did happen to get sick that week and miss the presidential fitness test, and according to some less than scientific research I did this week by asking around, other than some of the people in my small group, because love them, but apparently they're a little bit weird, everyone I asked about the, the presidential fitness test, before I even gave any details about it, their, their immediate reaction was, I hated that run. It was horrible. I I hated it. I I, I hated running then. I hate running now. No running for me. And yet, throughout the New Testament, Scripture compares the Christian life to a race that is to be run. And so this is the point where I just want to hit the pause button and acknowledge that, yes, I understand that maybe some people here this morning have uh, come to a point in their lives that for whatever strange, sick reason, they actually enjoy running, uh, but that you're definitely in the minority. So speaking on behalf of what we'll call the normal people, the rest of us, most of us hate running. But again, spiritually speaking, as followers of Jesus, we're called to run a race, And like physical running, spiritual running can seem a little intimidating to most of us, can it? Like physical running, spiritual running is going to involve discipline and dedication and determination. It's going to require effort. Like physical running, spiritual running means sometimes you're going to to enjoy some smooth sailing. But at other times, you're going to have to endure setbacks. The reality is that while you may have no desire whatsoever to go home this afternoon and and register for a physical 5K race, if you are a follower of Jesus, you've already been registered for a spiritual race of the Christian life, and the starting gun went off the moment that Jesus saved you. And our text for this morning not only calls us to run that race, but it also teaches us how to, to run that race well. For the last several months, we've been making our way through the Faith Hall of Fame, looking at the lives of the people that are mentioned in Hebrews 11. And and while none of them were perfect, every single one of those people in Hebrews chapter 11 had a race to run. Some of them ran incredibly well for most of their lives. Others of them, as we've seen, looked like massive train wrecks at times. But all of them had to run that race by faith in the one who was greater than them. And now their stories testify to the grace of God that was at work to sustain them in their races in order so that we can look at their lives and be encouraged that that same grace of God can be at work in ours. That's literally what the first phrase of Hebrews chapter 12 tells us. In order to transition from Hebrews 11 to Hebrews 12 and to tie the two together, the author says, therefore, in other words, in light of what you've just read, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let's run well. Those witnesses he's talking about are the people of Hebrews 11 who have already crossed the finish lines of their races and are waiting for us to cross the finish lines of ours. Contrary to what we might want to think, uh, these people in Hebrews 11 are not primarily witnesses of us, they're witnesses to us. In other words, these people in Hebrews 11 are not the the cheering section of heaven just sitting around waiting to to get the opportunity to to shake their pom-poms and cheer us up when we're we're a little down and having a bad day. They're there as highlight reels of God's grace to point us to him. See, the people of Hebrews 11 already know what we as the people of Hebrews chapter 12 all too often struggle to acknowledge, that they could no more win their own race in their own strength than we can win our race in our own strength. 
because in every single step of the race we've been called to run, we need someone better, someone greater, someone perfect, and his name is Jesus Christ. So if you're taking notes this morning, here's our big idea, our, our one sentence overarching theme of, of these two verses that'll time together for us. Our big idea this morning is this, we can run our race faithfully because Jesus has won the race completely. Again, we can run our race faithfully because Jesus has won the race completely. Again, our, our series through Hebrews 11 of the last few months called us to step out. And now this morning, before we move on to the gospel of John, I want us to just take a moment and be reminded it's not just step out. It's step out and run well. So how do we run well? Well, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 teaches us. This text is going to give us three instructions on how to run well. And here's the first. If we're going to run well, if you want to run well in the Christian life, number one, run unfettered like a marathon runner. Run unfettered like a marathon runner. If you would, if you have your Bibles or phones at Hebrews chapter 12, look back with me just at the first part of Hebrews 12 verse 1. Again, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. See, to run unfettered means to run without anything weighing you down or getting in your way. It's to make sure that you can do everything you can to make sure that nothing's going to trip you up or hold you back. To run unfettered is to take with you only what you need for the race. That's why marathon runners don't wear a ton of bulky clothing. They just wear tight-fitting shorts and a t-shirt. That's why they don't pack massive bags of equipment to take with them for the run. They just strap their phones to their, to their arms so they can listen to music to motivate them along the way. It's why when you're running a marathon, you don't stop in the middle of the race to, to have lunch and, and sit down at a, at a fine dining restaurant. You just grab whatever water is at the hydration station on the way. And that's how we're called to run the race of the Christian life. We're called to leave every distraction behind and break free from every sin that's holding us back in order to run unhindered and unfettered for the glory of God. That makes sense, right? Like we can follow the illustration that scripture's using here to to call us to run unfettered, spiritually speaking, just like a good marathon runner would do physically speaking. We can see why it would be important for us, and yet all too often, we end up running our races with so much baggage and so much sin attached to us that we look like we're trying to run while carrying all the groceries in from the car at the same time. Like that picture, we understand that picture, but that's what we look like all too often. Let's not do that. Let's run well to the glory of God. Let's run unfettered. Let's put everything unnecessary down and throw everything sinful off. That's what we're called to do. And just so we're clear on what that looks like, practically speaking, let's, let's break it down. Let's simplify it even more a little bit. See, everything that we're called to lay aside in this text really falls into one of two categories. It falls into the category of either a weight or a wrong. Let's start with the wrongs first because they're a little easier to identify. To be more clear, these wrongs the text is talking about are sin. It's not a popular word, but it's a necessary word. It's a, it's a biblical word. Sin is direct disobedience to God. It's when scripture says in, in black and white, plain as day, don't do that, and then we do it anyway. To borrow from Paul's list in Galatians 5, it's things like sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. In other words, the list could go on and on and on. Like we understand the picture, right? 
It could be any number of things. It's far from an exhaustive list of the ways that we could sin, but, but you get the point. And here in Hebrews 12, we're warned that sin clings closely. In other words, it hangs on. It's hard to get rid of. It's, it, it's like the, be- the, the, glitter, the sand from the beach or glitter from your kid's birthday party that you just can't get rid of. So listen, every single one of us will struggle with sin until the moment that we see Jesus face to face. So the question isn't really, am I going to encounter sin in my life? That's, that's not really the question because you will. The question isn't, am I going to find sin in my life? It's, it's am I fighting that sin or am I flirting with that sin? Am I, am I rejecting that sin or am I, am I keep returning to it because it's just a little too much fun to get rid of? That's the question. So you want to run well? You want to not get tripped up and held back in the race? Then you're going to have to be serious about fighting sin. You're going to have to lay it down and leave it there. Don't let it linger. To quote the Puritan pastor, John Owen, he said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And yes, that takes effort. It takes intentionality. Sometimes it'll, it'll take radical steps that might seem insane to the people around you looking on at your life that don't understand what you're doing as you pursue holiness. But here's what Jesus says in Matthew 18, verses 8 and 9. He said, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into the hell of fire. See, friends, Jesus isn't prescribing literal self-mutilation, but he is saying that sometimes if you are going to be victorious in your fight with sin, you're going to have to take some radical steps that would seem insane to the people around you. What he's saying is if you struggle with anger, don't just sweep it under the rug at home, but, but, but drag it into the light of biblical community. Get some people involved. Get help. He's saying if you struggle with lust, don't just go with, well, I need that computer for work. He might be saying, lose the computer, lose the smartphone, find another way. Because after all, what will it profit a man or woman if they gain the whole corporate world or academic world or social media world and forfeit their soul? See, friends, God is holy and sin is serious. So run well, kill sin, lay down the wrongs and don't pick them up again. Take those steps. But not everything's so black and white, right? Like those were the wrongs and they're pretty black and white. They're obviously things we need to set aside. But what about the weights? What, are, what about these weights the text is mentioning? These weights aren't wrong, but they're probably unwise. They're unhelpful. They're unnecessary. They're distracting. These weights can even be good things, but the problem is they get in the way of the best thing. They get in the way of your relationship with Jesus Christ, your Savior. As one commentator points out, the problem isn't what the weights are, it's what they do. See, these weights in this verse is talking about are, are anything that will hinder you in your race instead of helping you along the way, and we're called to lay them aside just as clearly and just as seriously as we were called to lay aside the wrongs that are so obvious. But this is where it gets a little complicated for us because not everyone struggles with the same weights. There's a lot of freedom in the Christian life, so we're going to have to exercise wisdom when it comes to thinking through what is a weight for me to lay aside and what are some things that, I, that are okay to keep in my life. 
Because what might be a weight for one person in their race might not be for someone else. In fact, it might even be a help for the other person. Depends on the person, depends what they're called to, depends what stage of life they're in, depends how they're wired, depends what type of sin they're predisposed to. So it would be impossible for us this morning to come up with a a definitive list of all the weights you need to lay aside, but with a little self-reflection and some maturity and some complete honesty and and the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm confident that we can figure it out. Well, here's how. With every decision, every relationship, every purchase, every possession, every behavior, every hobby, like you get the point, right? Everything in your life, just ask yourself one question. Is this gonna help me run well to the glory of God? Or is there a chance that'll hinder me and trip me up and cause myself or the people around me to stumble and fall flat on my face? And if there's even a remote chance that it's gonna hinder your run, friends, just lay it down. It's not worth it. Move on and run unfettered from every wrong and every weight. The last couple of years, some former coworkers and friends of mine have raised money for a local humane society by offering to run in a 5K race, uh, wearing an additional piece of their SWAT gear for every $500 that was donated by the community. We'll have some pictures on the screen behind, you, behind me in just a second. This is a great fundraising idea, but a horrible plan for a run. As you can imagine, this is, it was miserable for them. Uh, they could have run so much easier and faster if they would have just laid aside every weight, but by the time they were done raising this money, they ended up having to wear pretty much all of their SWAT gear and even carried a battering ram for them to pass back and forth between them during the race. As we look at those pictures, we laugh a little bit. We might appreciate their dedication to raise some money for a good, uh, for a good cause, but at the same time, we think to ourselves, like, I would never run like that. It makes no sense. Why would I carry all that unnecessary weight and to slow me down, get in my way? Why would I make things harder for myself like that? That would be miserable. It would be crazy. But spiritually speaking, we do that all the time. And if we're not careful, that's exactly what we'll keep doing if we don't constantly lay down what we know to be wrong and what we know to be a weight. If we don't do that, we'll keep accumulating stuff that'll get in our way and keep us, and keep allowing sin to hang on and slow us down in our race and and following Jesus. Friends, let's not do that. Let's run well to the glory of God. Let's run unfettered. Let's put everything unnecessary down and throw everything sinful off. But the race of the Christian life isn't all smooth sailing. We can't just run unfettered like a marathon runner. We're also going to have to, number two this morning, we're going to have to run with fortitude like a running back. We're going to have to run with fortitude like a running back. Look back with me again at the last phrase in verse one. The author says, if you want to run well, then let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So even if you don't like physical running in those rare, crazy moments where uh, you may be tempted to give it a try again, the picture that pops into your head of what running is going to be like is probably very idealistic. Now you might picture yourself running, slowly jogging down the beach at sunset on, on smooth, flat ground or on a trail and the, the sun setting in the background. You've got a smile on your face and not a care in the world, but that's never what happens when we go back to running, is it? What really happens is it doesn't take very long before our joints start hurting and our lungs start burning and we're dodging cars and we're fighting against hills and there's no smiling involved in this process whatsoever. 
And that's when we decide, you know what, I think I'll try this again next year or maybe in 10 years because we were unprepared for the reality of what running would actually be like. We went into it not understanding what the, what the race would involve. And so all too often we make that same mistake in how we approach spiritual running. We start running totally unprepared for what it'll really be like. So many of us approach the Christian life thinking that we would just give our lives to Jesus and then from there on out it would be all smooth sailing and then we're, we're shocked to find out that that's not the case. We're disappointed when that first hill comes. And you're, just, you're surprised when we start experiencing pain. And you're, you're confused when the obstacles start showing up in your life because those weren't supposed to be there, right? Like it was all supposed to go great. Or like what about the hashtag blessed life? This was supposed to all be so smooth. Friends, we shouldn't be surprised one bit. Scripture gave us fair warning ahead of time. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And it's no coincidence, the, the Greek word for run here in Hebrews 12 is the word agone, which is where we get our word for agony from. So you runners, just keep that in mind next time you try to stop talking to somebody into it. But even Jesus gave himself a heads up about what running would be like when he said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Not might, not could, not maybe, you will have tribulation. You're gonna face hard things as a follower of Jesus. And that's why Hebrews 12.1 tells us that if we're gonna run well, we're gonna have to run with endurance. And that word endurance there doesn't just mean the ability to keep going as long as you can, as in like, you know what, if I can just keep my, my feet moving, if I can keep putting one foot in front of the other, then I can run a full marathon instead of a 5K. That's not the point here. If only it were that easy. The endurance that Hebrews is talking about here is fortitude. It's fortitude. The, the dictionary defines fortitude as the strength that enables a person to encounter danger and bear pain or adversity with courage. It's to hang in there when times get tough. It's to not quit. It's to get back on your feet after you've been knocked down to the ground and start running again over and over and over again until you finish the race. Because the reality is that the Christian life is far more like a football game than it's like a marathon. And that's why if we're gonna run well, we can't just run unfettered like a marathon runner. We're also going to have to run with fortitude like a running back. I know the team he played for might rub some of you the wrong way, so let's, let's, not, let's skip the booze for now. You can tell me about it later. But Emmett Smith was largely considered to be one of the greatest running, the greatest running back in NFL history. He was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2010 after playing for 14 seasons. He was named to the Pro Bowl eight times. He won three Super Bowls with the, the Dallas Cowboys of the 1990s, and he rushed in his career for 18,355 total yards, which is by far the most running yards in NFL history. And that sounds like a lot of running, and it is, but if you only look at the total numbers at the end of his career, if you only look at the big number, you'll miss the fortitude that it took to get there. See, if a mile is 1,760 yards, then it took Emmett Smith 14 years to run 10 miles. Why? Because his career average run was only 4.2 yards. And what that means is that every 4.2 yards, he got hit. Every 4.2 yards, he got knocked down. He, he experienced pain. He ran into something. He was smacked and knocked to the ground. Then he'd have to get back up and do it again and again 
and again and again for 14 years, almost 4,500 times. Run a few yards, get knocked to the ground, get up and do it again. Run a few yards, get knocked to the ground, get up and do it again. It takes fortitude. It takes endurance. And friends, that's what the Christian life is like. That's why we need endurance. Sure, sometimes a hole will open up at the, at the line of scrimmage and you can get a little distance on your run in the wide open field. But for the most part, the Christian life involves just gaining a couple of yards at a time. And if you're going to run well, you're going to have to run with fortitude like a running back. Enduring the hits, getting back up to run again, and just moving the ball down the field until you reach the finish line, the goal line of heaven. And just so you're aware, not everybody's on the same playing field. Not everybody's been given the same race to run, the exact same race at least. Not everyone's going to take the same hits and face the same obstacles. But like Jesus and Peter warned us, all races are going to include trials. See, the reality is that some of our races are going to include marriage. Some of our races are going to include singleness. Some of our races are going to include losing a spouse to death or divorce. Some races will include parenting. Some races will include struggling with infertility. Some races will include the loss of a child. Some races will include prosperity. Some races will include financial struggles. Some races will include battling addictions. Some will include battling cancer. We all have a different race to run, but you're called to run the race that is set before you, not the one that is set before someone else. And you're called to run it with endurance, with fortitude, the ability to get back up and just keep running for the glory of God. And the obvious question then is, well, how? How can I run faithfully? How can I run well? How can I lay aside all that stuff and and break free from sin in order to run like a marathon runner? How can I do that? How can I run with fortitude like a running back through all the kinds of troubles and trials that you're talking about? How, How can I take the hits and survive and keep moving through anxiety when another hit, as you're saying, might only be 4.2 yards away? How am I supposed to keep going? The answer is Jesus. Not in some cheesy Sunday school answer type of way. Remember, we can only run our race faithfully because Jesus has won the race completely. Jesus is the answer in a way that that can meet you right where you are right now in your race and help you lay down all the weights and all the wrongs and enable you to run with endurance the race that is set before you. And for that reason, if you want to run well, number three this morning, run focused with your eyes on Jesus. Run focused with your eyes on Jesus. Look back with me one last time at verse two, where we're told this. If we're going to have any hope of running faithfully, we're going to have to run, as the author of Hebrews says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In order to plant or harvest in a completely straight row, uh, farmers, when they're driving a tractor in the middle of a massive field, they'll, they'll pick a point way off in the distance at the end of the field to, to focus on, on that point because if they don't, if they're just looking around right where they are, if they get distracted, they're going to they're gonna get off track. They're going to mess the whole thing up. And the same is true of running the race in the Christian life. If we 
run focused with our eyes on Jesus, that's the right direction. But if we get distracted, if we get off track, if we start looking around us at the things that, that are around us, then we'll stop running well. But Jesus is the key to running well. He's, he's the only way you can run faithfully. For instance, you need help in laying aside the weights and wrongs of verse one. As the old hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's what the Puritan Thomas Chalmers called the expulsive power of a new affection. In other words, you want to stop struggling with those weights and wrongs and get rid of them for good? Then look to Jesus and don't look away. Replace the old affections with Jesus himself. Are you knocked down and struggling to get back up and you need help running with endurance this race that's set before you? Matthew 11, Jesus invited you to come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, that's those weights. And he says, I will give you rest. So take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's just be clear about that verse. He's not inviting you to a nap in early retirement from the race. There's still work to be done and forward progress to be made in his offer there. So in his invitation to rest, he's not offering a nap. He's offering relief. He's offering assistance in the run. He's offering endurance if you'll run with him. I think it's safe to say that we'd all agree that we should be focused on Jesus. But the question remains, are we actually focused on Jesus? Are we actually focused on him as we run the race? So, so just quickly, in order to help us evaluate our focus on Jesus, I want to ask us three questions from verse two. Question number one, where did you start your run? The beginning of verse two says that Jesus is the founder, the initiator, and perfecter of our faith. In other words, it starts and ends with Jesus. He's the chief cornerstone, as Ephesians chapter two says. He's the only way to be saved and he's the only way to be sanctified or made holy. So how did you get in this race? Did you start your race with Jesus? I ask you that question because some people show up at, at church having tried to skip the starting line. They came because they thought it would give them something to do or a place to belong or, or a place that would be a positive influence on their kids, but they skipped the start with Jesus. And now they're just kind of hanging around, but, but Jesus isn't changing them because Jesus never saved them in the first place. They skipped the starting line. And if that's you this morning, I just want to say, again, we are so glad that you're here. But let me also just tell you, it's not too late to go back to the beginning and start the right way, to start with Jesus. Because he loves you so much that he came to this earth to die the death that you deserved in your place because of your sin that separated you from God. And then he was buried and rose from the dead three days later, forever defeating sin and death and making salvation or reconciliation with, with God possible by his grace if you would just turn or repent from your sins and place your faith, your hope, your trust in, in he, him alone and what he did for you on the cross. And when you do that, he will save you and give you life more abundant than you could ever imagine, unfettered from sin and running with endurance. And if you're here this morning and you've never done that, I, I would plead with you to do it this morning. Run to Jesus, lock your eyes on him and be saved. But for all of us, let's ask ourselves the question, did you start your run with Jesus? Is that where you started? Because it's all about Jesus. So run with your eyes focused and fixed on him from the start. Second question to evaluate our focus, how do you motivate your run? 
What's keeping you going when things get hard? I can tell you that if it's not Jesus and the impact of the gospel, eventually you'll want to drop out of the race and quit. That's what happened to Demas in 2 Timothy 4.10. He was running the race really well with Paul, and then Paul says he, he fell in love with the world and walked away. Other things became more important to him. He misplaced his motivation. <coughs> See, verse 2 tells us that, that Jesus endured the cross despising the shame. Why? What was his motivation? For the joy that was set before him. So that raises the question, well, what was that joy? We could say it could have been a lot of things, but I think the easiest way to figure out what that joy that, that motivated him would be to look back at his purpose in coming. So why did he come? What was his purpose? In Luke 19, 10, Jesus himself says it was to seek and save the lost. And if that was his purpose, and he found joy in the fulfillment of his purpose in coming, then the joy that motivated him to endure the cross is the finding and the saving of lost people. Do you share that motivation? What's your motivation in running this race? Do you share his? See, if your motivation is to just hang out and have fun at church, eventually you're going to find a cooler place to be and, and the people that are a lot more fun to be around. But if it's to seek and save the lost, like Jesus' motivation, then you'll, you'll pour yourself into your own discipleship and you'll prepare yourself and equip yourself to run for kingdom impact along the way with a bunch of people who are set on doing the same to make the most impact in saving, seeking and saving the lost. If your motivation is just for your kids to grow up to be moral, halfway decent human beings, then you can do that in other places. You can, you can, you can find some things like that at soccer practice. But if your motivation is to seek and save the lost, particularly in your kids, then you'll filter every decision that you make as a family through the, through the lens of the question of, is this going to help me point my kids to Jesus and, and make them disciples of him along the way? Because Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He endured it for you. It's all about Jesus, so run well with your eyes fixed on him. The third question, what's the end goal of your run? What's the end goal of your run? What's, what's it all leading to? Because if it's all about Jesus and our eyes are, are to be focused on him, then remember that the end of verse two tells us that he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Why? Because he won his race. It's done. He's finished. And it's only because he won the race that we can run our races faithfully. So are you running with that end in mind? Are you running with the risen Jesus reigning on the cross as the focus of your daily run? So let me just say, running in light of eternity will help you lay aside every weight and every wrong in a heartbeat because they don't seem all that important. They don't seem all that impressive. They don't seem all that shiny compared to Jesus himself, do they? And it'll help you run your race with more endurance than you can imagine because remember those trials? Remember those pain, that, that pain that you're experiencing? 2 Corinthians chapter 4 calls them just light momentary afflictions compared to the eternal weight of glory that is going to be revealed the moment that you see Jesus face to face. That's what we're looking forward to. It's all about Jesus. So run well with your eyes fixed on him. Eric Little was a runner, and at one point in his life, he was considered one of the fastest men on earth. Eric Little was also a faithful follower of Jesus. After reaching the top of the athletic world and, and winning a gold medal in the 1924 Olympics in Paris, France, he, he returned to China where he had grown up as a missionary kid in order to serve King Jesus as a missionary himself. 
For the next 20 years, he poured himself out for the gospel in, in relative obscurity compared to the, the fame and glory that he'd once known as a gold medal Olympian. And then in 1943, in the heart of World War II, he was taken as a prisoner of war by the Japanese. But even then, he only continued to serve Jesus while he suffered. He died in 1945 in that prison camp, just five months before it was liberated. And we might look at Eric Little's life and be tempted to say, what a tragedy. What, what a waste. Like to go from being an Olympic gold medalist to suffering and dying in a Japanese prisoner of war camp, like how horrible. How did he endure? How did he survive? How did he, how did he lay aside the weights? How did he run with endurance those 20 years as a missionary? How did he run with endurance those, those couple of years that he spent as a prisoner of war? How did, he, how did he suffer and die well? How did he endure that? I'll let him answer for himself. These are his words. At one point in his life, he said, it has been a wonderful experience to compete in the Olympic Games and to bring home a gold medal. But since I have been a young lad, I have had my eyes on a different prize. You see, each one of us is in a greater race than any I have run in Paris. And this race ends when God gives out the medals. In other words, Eric Little ran focused with his eyes fixed on Jesus because he knew the only way he could run his race faithfully, the only way he could lay aside those weights, the only way he could run with endurance was because Jesus had won the race completely. So it's all about Jesus. So are you looking to him as you run this morning or have you lost sight of your savior? The most tangible way we have to look at Jesus in the middle of our race is by partaking in communion, the Lord's Supper. And so that's what we're gonna do now. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I just ask that you not participate in this part of the service, not in a, not in a judgmental way, but, the, but we believe that communion, the Lord's Supper is something that Jesus has reserved for the church, those that he has redeemed, those that have placed their faith and hope in him once and for all. And so again, if you haven't done that, just, just hold off. We'd love to talk with you about the gospel after the service. But communion invites us to look at Jesus. We're talking about running with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Communion invites us to do that. It invites us to look back at what he's done for us. Because after all, when Jesus instituted communion, he said, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, look back at what I've done. So it invites us to look back. But it also invites us to look forward as we look back. In 1 Corinthians 11, where we find the most amount of details about communion anywhere in scripture. Paul says this, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, what? Until he comes. So it invites us to look back at Jesus' death, but it also invites us to look forward to his return. And that's not all. When we come to the communion table, it also invites us to look around, to see fellow runners on their race and remember that you're not alone as you run. There's no special seats at the Lord's table. Everyone started their race and came to this table by way of the cross. And while every race, as you look around, every race that you see in this room might look a little bit different, we're all running it with the same Savior and we're running it to the same destination. So just think about that as we take communion this morning, to, to, to look back at what he's done, to look forward expectantly at his return. But in the meantime, between what he's done and between his return, look around at the race. Look around at your fellow runners in the context of the church that you've been called to run this race of the Christian life with. 
1 Corinthians 11, we're warned about coming to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. So uh, as usual, we're going to take a little time for reflection here. Rebecca's going to keep playing. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to encourage you to do business with the Lord for a minute. Praise him for what he's done. Look back in remembrance. Look forward to his return. And for the race, this is a great time to do business, to confess and repent, to, to lay down weights and wrongs as you run, to, to ask for the help of endurance as you run, and just look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith. So take a minute, and then we'll pray, and we'll take communion together. thank you for the cross thank you for sending your son to die for us to take our place to pay the penalty that we could not pay to take the punishment that we deserved thank you for his body that was broken for us and his shed his blood that was shed for us we are undeserving and in total need of grace use these moments as we come to the Lord's table together to direct our eyes to your son in a very real way. In a way that's not just an end to the service, but in a way that, that points our eyes back to our Savior who died for us, to lift our eyes to his return and to find strength for the run and who he is and his victory on the cross for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians 11. Apostle Paul writing, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. goes on. He says, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together.
pray together as the worship team comes. Father, again, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the cross. As we come out of this time in communion, just that you would encourage heavy hearts. Help us along the way. Help us in our runs. Help us to lay aside every weight and wrong. To lay them down once and for all. To look full in Jesus' wonderful face in a way that truly does make the things of earth grow strangely dim. To change our affections to, towards Jesus in a way that, 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 that causes us to put everything down and run unfettered like a marathon runner to run after Jesus. Would you help us do that? Would you also lift us, give us your rest, give us endurance as we run? Many of us run with heavy burdens. You've invited us to come to yourself, to take your yoke upon us. Help us to do that in a real way. Help us to remember your victory, to grant us the, the endurance to get up and keep running. And then look to you to get up and keep running again. God, would you help us through the presence of your Holy Spirit and encourage that you've given to us? Help us along the way. Help us to look forward to eternity, the finish line, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus as we run. In Jesus' name, amen.